morning. My name is Blake Holmes. I wanna welcome you to Watermark. We are in the middle of a little series called This Is The Life. Specifically, we are taking a look at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. If you brought your Bible, I would encourage you, just open up to the center. You'll probably run into the book of Psalms. Turn one book to the right, and you will find the book of Proverbs. Uh, we have seen over the course of several weeks that um, Proverbs is teaching us how to live with great wisdom. And we have discovered that the wise, the life of the wise is marked by righteousness and courage and discernment and contentment and peace and respect. And today we're going to see that the wise live lives of obedience to God's word. The wise live a life of obedience to God's word. Proverbs is made up of 31 chapters. It's a common practice of many of us around here to take a proverb for the day, just because it lines up with the days out of the month, and just to read that. Uh, they are just short chapters filled with pithy sayings, general truths about life and observations about how we are to live. Um, they're not necessarily promises. This book doesn't communicate to us necessarily how to have a right relationship with God, how to be made right with God, but it's written to those who already have a right relationship with God, telling them, hey, this is how we can live, how we can live in a way where we can experience life as God intended, how we can avoid some of the foolish mistakes that people make. It was written by a man named Solomon, and the reason why that's important is because God said that Solomon was the wisest person to ever live. So I want to read the book of the man whom God said, this man is the wisest man to ever live. He's one of the kings over Israel, and he wrote specifically to his children. Um, if you're anything like me, I have four kids, and um, there's just so many times I sit down with them. Right? And I'm like, hey, because I love you, just listen to me. Listen to me. Don't make the same mistakes I made. Don't peak in high school. It's not worth it. Right? But I have four teenagers and they all look at me like, oh, here goes one of those dad talks again. Right? So I can only imagine how Solomon must have felt when he wrote this book to his kids. Just going, son, listen to me. In fact, over and over and over again, he says, listen to me, son. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Proverbs 4, 10 through 15, hear my son. I mean, this is about when you call that family meeting, right? Another family meeting. And your kids are rolling their eyes. Another dad talk. And Solomon says, what does he say? Accept my saying and years of life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Don't even go by it. 
turn away from it and pass on. This sounds like the speech I just gave my daughter, my firstborn child, dropping her off at college this last summer. Right? Hey, listen to me, please. I'm not going to be around anymore. But because I love you, I'm just reminding you that God's word is true. And this world is going to tell you that life is found in all sorts of places. But remember, life is found in God and God alone. And that the wise heed instruction and trust God. Believe me. And we're going to see that from our study today that the Lord, first of all, he determines the standard by which we are to live. It is the Lord who determines the standard by which we are to live. This is such a significant foundational truth. But it is one we forget so often. Solomon begs his children to understand, hey, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can either choose to obey or you can disobey. But just understand this, there are consequences to your choices. And this is in an effort of a father who loves his children. Just to say, hey, this is the life. This is what I'm telling you. This is where you're going to find peace. This is where you're going to find rest if you just listen to me. And we have a God in heaven who is a good father. Who wants us to experience the life and peace he intends. And he has showed us the way. The first point is that he is the one who establishes the standard by which we are to live. But yet so many of us, we choose to reject that standard. And that's why Solomon says in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We've all experienced that before, right? When in the moment we're sitting there and this seems to make sense to me. This just seems to make sense by my reason, by my experience, by how I feel. And so I proceed and I reject the standard, the authority of God's word in my life. And I, and I travel at my own peril and then I experience the regret and the pain. And Solomon says, hey, there's gonna be times. It just seems right to you. But in the end, it leads to death, it leads to loss, leads to despair. So he says, don't forsake my teaching. Don't trust in yourself, trust in God's standard. Don't trust in yourself, don't isolate yourself. But listen to wisdom, to the counsel of others. Proverbs 18:1. whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. How many of us have done that before? People in a way in which they're trying to love us. Maybe it's our parents, our friends, our community group, other believers around us who are going, hey, listen to me. I wanna help you as you're processing these decisions. And what do we naturally do when we wanna go our own way? We isolate ourselves from the counsel and the instruction of others at our own peril. We do it all the time. I don't want you living in authority over me. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? Sound familiar? I don't need your counsel. You're not my dad. Careful. 
when we go our own way and do what we think seems wise and isolate ourselves, we are on the path of destruction. Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Just, you can, you can hear again Solomon looking at his boy just going, don't believe everything you hear. Did you ever hear that from your parents? Don't believe everything you hear. That's just right out of Proverbs 14, 15. It's the simple who believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. The prudent seeks God's will, God's counsel, doesn't isolate himself. He's the one who determines the standard by which we are to live. We are to fear God. This whole concept of the fear of the Lord is something that we may say a lot, maybe we've heard in church, but I'm not sure everybody understands what that really means, but that's central throughout um, the whole book of Proverbs. It is the main foundation to the book. It's the key to understanding it. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want knowledge, it starts with fearing God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the stairs of death. You want to find knowledge, you want to find life, it starts with fear of God. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. That sounds good, doesn't it? Sleep, a good night's rest. Proverbs 28.14, how blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It's the theme throughout the whole book. You can't miss it. But what does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Does it, does it mean like we fear him, like um, Halloween's coming up and we fear ghosts, right? We fear the, the boogeyman like you thought might live under your bed when you were a child. Is that what it means? No, to fear the Lord quite simply means you recognize him for who he is and you submit to his authority. To fear God, to, to fear God is to recognize him for who he is and then to submit to his authority. In other words, we have to get the God question right. The most core foundational truths of scripture, that the Lord is our creator, that we're not here because of time plus chance plus matter, but there is one God in heaven, over heaven and earth. He is our creator who made us in his image. He alone is good. He alone is holy and perfect. And he alone is great and sovereign, powerful, fully in control. Nothing can thwart his will and his word is true. You've got to get the God question right. You have to understand, Solomon would say, that there is one God who's creator, sovereign, good, and his word is true. A.W. Tozer was right, the pastor, 
theologian and writer, he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, what do you think about? Is he some cold, unrelational, distant landlord who doesn't desire any relationship with you? Is he angry and vindictive and just looking to spite you when you do wrong? Do you have a deistic notion of God? That he's a blind watchmaker who just wound up the clock and just has left the earth spinning on its own, never to intervene? That's deism. Or do you understand God, as I said, as our creator? A loving father who desires a relationship with you. Who's made a way for us to know him. Who's revealed himself through his word. Who's intentions are kind and good for us, who's providentially at work in our lives, who's writing our story and has our best intention in mind. Tozer goes on, he says this, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes in your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Hear what he's saying? Tell me what comes to your mind when you think about God and I will tell you the spiritual direction of your life. He goes on, he says, were we able to know exactly what our most influential leaders think of God today? We might be able with some precision to foretell where the church will stand tomorrow. You gotta get the God question right. But see, we have an enemy who wants to undermine our way of thinking, who wants to create doubt, who wants desperately for you to believe that God doesn't care, that he's not good, that he's not providentially at work in your life, who wants to rob you of the blessing of walking with him. And we see that most clearly right there at the very beginning of Genesis chapter three, don't we? I want you to listen to the lie of the enemy who appears in the form of a serpent. His name is Satan which in Hebrew is literally Satan, which is just literally means adversary. He is our adversary. And notice, there's, there's Adam and Eve living in perfect relationship with one another and in relationship with God, just as God intended. Well, there is no experience of, of sin or death in the world. And along comes the adversary. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Which is a distortion of what God said. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. Come on, you're not gonna die. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good from evil. Do you hear what he's saying? You can't trust God. He's not the one who establishes the standard by which you're to live. You are your own authority, Adam and Eve. You get to choose. God only intends to rip you off. He knows that when you eat of it, you're gonna be like him. He's keeping good from you. You're not gonna die. Verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her 
and he ate. I think of this story often because um, I happen on my route when I go jog, not as often as I should, but when I do, there's a corner house with a huge magnolia tree, huge, that reaches the sky and its limbs literally go down to the ground and kind of pop up. It's, right? It is the kid's ultimate dream of a climbing tree. And um, there's a little sign in front of the tree, please do not climb the tree. And you know what it comes immediately to my mind every time I see that tree? Who says I can't climb that tree? Why can't I climb that tree? What's gonna happen if I climb that tree? I bet you nothing's gonna happen. Could I come here in the middle of the night and just climb the tree and not get caught? There's something in all of us, right? If you own a shop with little figurines, you know, things that are fragile and you don't want kids to touch it, don't put a sign up. Because how many of us, when we were little, would walk up and say, don't touch the figurines, right? And you just want to walk up and go, boop. It's innate in all of us. We, we don't naturally want to obey. It's called a sin nature. Adam and Eve made a choice. And because of their choice, we now have been separated from God. We now live in a world of sin and rebellion. We experience pain and suffering and death. And incidentally, just to be really clear, if you think, well, that's not fair. Adam and Eve made that choice. Well, guess what? We make the same choice every day, which just validates if we were right in their shoes, we would have done the same thing. And Paul says in Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. The decision they made has led to not only a physical death, but a spiritual death. Where we no longer enjoy intimacy with God and one another, but experience the pain and heartache of living in a broken world. And really largely, any notion of the fear of God has been lost. It just doesn't take much, right? Open up a newspaper, Turn on the news. There's hardly any mention of, to no mention of all, the fear of God. We've rejected the fact that he has established a standard by which we are to live. That he has our best interest in mind. We've rejected his authority over our lives. His goodness. His sovereignty. And that his word is true. And we're experiencing the consequences of that. I'm not talking about in a far off land or, or topics that are just general. I'm just talking about basic headlines. And you look in the news today. We've rejected the most foundational truths regarding the sanctity of life. The definition of marriage. The purposes of sex. The norms of gender the equality of every race. All of these are up for debate now in our world. Again, not in some far distant land. I mean, just this week in, in the state of Texas, just this week, a dad in Texas was denied the right to stop his seven-year-old son from transitioning to a girl. 
In fact, by court order was instructed that he could not use male pronouns when speaking to his son. By court order in the state of Texas. There are those in in Virginia and New York right now who are fighting for legislation that you can deliver a baby and then if the mother should so choose after delivery can end the life of a child. That's infanticide. That's infanticide. And it's heartbreaking. We've rejected the sanctity of life that all of us are made in the image of God. That every life is valuable in the womb and outside of the womb. Young, old, sick, healthy, black, white. We reject the definition of marriage. Marriage is no longer defined between a man and a woman in covenant relationship with one another before God. We rejected the purposes of sex, that sex is to be enjoyed within the, the confines and context of a marriage relationship. The norms of gender. We're told today that gender is, de- is a decision not determined by God. You, you get to choose what gender you want. It's absurd. It's crazy. We've lost our way. The equality of every race. That somehow some races are elevated above the other. It's just contrary to God's word. And our world is experiencing the consequence of that. To even speak on these things. To even speak on these things is, and, and, to, and to describe them as crazy and wrong makes you an enemy of many. Well, we have an enemy who is lying to us, gang. You gotta see that. Jesus tells us in John chapter eight, he he says, hey, Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, which is what we just read in Genesis three, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of Lies. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, even currently in their case, the the mind of non-believers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Solomon is telling you, the Lord is telling you, I am imploring you to consider that there is a standard by which we are to live. And it's not determined on how we feel or what society says or our reason or our experiences, but it's determined by what God says and rooted in his character. And because we've gone our own way, it has led to disaster. And when we continue to stiffen our neck and demand that we want to climb the tree and eat of the fruit, it just leads to more pain and suffering. Well, lighten the mood here for a second. Uh, This week, for whatever reason, I've gotten more um, 
phone solicitations, complete scams than uh, in weeks pre- uh, previous. And uh, most I just delete them, right? But there's the one that I got that it made me laugh out loud. I go, you know what? I- I'm going to keep that one. And uh, as I was thinking about my message, I go, you know what? I'm going to play this message, all right? And so I want you to listen to the recording of a message I received earlier this week. So let's listen to this together. This is the Social Security Administration. There is a legal case with some serious allegations filed on your name by the Drug Enforcement Agency and the police station. Once you get this message, call back at the Social Security Administration Department at 315-203-2293. I repeat the number, 315-203-2293. Do not disregard this message as this is a very serious matter. Once you get the message, call back immediately and share the four digits of your social security number. Thank you. I love that. Hey, once you get this message, call me back and go ahead and give me your social security number, right? Now we all laugh because we sit there and we're like, man, that's just, that's a total scam, right? But may I suggest to you, tragically, The reason why we keep getting messages like that is because some people respond and do just that. And that may seem just crazy and ridiculous, but may I also suggest to you that there is an enemy who's trying to rip you off in ways that may not be as overt or laughable, but we're buying the lie. And it's crazy when we look at God's word and we just walk away, go, hey, I'm going to live the way I want to live. Solomon goes, that's foolish. He says to his kids, hey, you can choose. You've got a a choice to either obey or disobey. And he says the wise choose to trust and obey, whereas whereas fools choose to disobey. He he makes the point that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is just acquiring information, right? I I can hear the tornado sirens going off in Dallas, right? And go, I hear hear tornado sirens, tornado sirens, and just sit there and keep watching TV. Or I can hear the tornado sirens and go, you know what? I better respond to the warning that I hear right now. Wisdom is responding to the knowledge. Jesus speaks of this, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus distinguished between hearing and obeying. He says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, who responds, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew like a tornado and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But contrast that with this. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, many will come in to Watermark and we'll bring our Bibles and we'll learn and we'll take notes, but never respond. It has no impact in our marriages, our friendships, and our work, and the way we relate to one another. And all we're doing is becoming smarter sinners. And when we study God's word, the goal is not to become a smarter sinner. 
The goal is life transformation. But yet our churches are filled with people who have got great notes, great study Bibles, and yet little to show for it. And Solomon's going, hey man, you get to choose. Jesus is saying, you get to choose. But we will only obey God to the extent that we trust him. Obedience and trust are two sides to the same coin. Right, that's why he says, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. There it is again. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. When I believe that God is good and he always has my best interests in mind, when I believe that, that he is in control of my circumstances, when I believe his word is true, I will obey. I will follow. But conversely, when I don't trust those things to be true, that he has my best interest in mind, that he can care for my every need and that his word is true, I go my own way. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who lived during Nazi Germany, said, only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient truly believes. But there's consequences to our choices, right? I mean, I think of, I think of Joshua, the great Old Testament leader who gathered in front of all the people and he just said, hey, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that passage. I love that passage because you have a leader who stands up in front of all the people. He draws the line in the sand and he doesn't take an opinion poll. And what does he do? He challenges the people. Hey, you choose today whom you're gonna serve. But as for me and my house, I've made the choice. Follow me. Because understand this, when we choose to follow the gods of the Amorites and of foreign lands, when we reject God's standard in our lives, there are consequences. There's always a consequence to our choice. Those who live wisely experience blessing. Proverbs 16, 20. He who gives attention to the word will find good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And when we walk with God, the blessing it is on those around us and to our kids and to our family. Proverbs 20, verse seven, the righteous who walks his integrity, blessed are his children after him. You wanna bless your kids? You wanna provide for your kids? They don't need a fortune and inheritance. They need godly mothers and fathers who love God and walk in obedience. Blessed are his children after him. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence in his children will have refuge. Yet those who live foolishly, we experience loss. And we've all experienced loss because we've all gone our own way. We all have scars to show for it. Proverbs 11 19, whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. There's a loss of peace when we disregard God's word. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion, Proverbs 
When we live contrary to God's word, we live paranoid, we live scared, we run, we're always looking over our shoulder, we have a guilty conscience. But the righteous live as bold as a lion. We experience loss of reputation, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Loss of dignity, like a dog that returns to its vomit as a fool who repeats his folly, Proverbs 26, 11. And most tragically, a loss of intimacy with God. If one turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to God. Here's the truth, gang. Most of the decisions we're gonna make this week, we're gonna experience temporary consequences. We're only gonna experience temporary consequences. Some will be severe, some are gonna hurt. But there's one decision you've gotta make that all of us have to make. And that is our decision on what we believe about Jesus Christ. We all have to answer the question, who is Jesus and what was he doing on the cross? And, and just to ignore the decision is making a decision. Because Jesus makes it really clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can be made right with God, be restored into a right relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. And it's not about what you do or don't do. It's all in whom you trust. The Bible says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Because here's the deal. None of us live obedient lives. We can't do it. We won't do it. All of us have rebelled against God. We're no different than Adam and Eve. Every single one of us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, fully God so as to be without sin, and fully man so as to serve as our substitute. The God-man took our penalty on the cross. He died the death we deserved. And he was buried and three days later he rose again defeating sin and death and offering us life. But those who believe in him are justified and have peace with God. There is no greater decision you can make. You've got to decide, hey, who is Jesus? Jesus is the only one who is fully obedient. Jesus is the one and the only one who is the wisdom of God. Philippians 2 says this, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Only one has lived the perfect life. And he's the wisdom of God. Note what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. Hang with me, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What, what that means is, is what I just shared with you, how you can have a right relationship with God. The outside world just scoffs at that. and goes, only a fool would trust in Jesus Christ. Only a fool would believe that the Bible is God's word. But to those who believe, they recognize, no, no, no. This is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the wise one, Paul asks. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Gang, we don't seek to obey God and follow his word in order to win his love. We seek to obey because we are loved. And there's a dramatic difference. It is Christ who tells us, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. I wanna close in showing you a short video which I think illustrates everything which I've just shared with you. It's like a picture is worth a thousand words. I think this video is gonna show you and this one particular friend of ours who was sick and tired of being sick and tired and trying to find life apart from God and then finally came to the end of herself and saw it where wisdom is found, humbled herself. Let's watch her story. I recall from just a very young age, just being drawn to girls. I knew that it was just something that, it was just different, I didn't understand why. I struggled with sharing because I knew in my heart that it would be frowned upon. It was in my 20s when I decided that this is just the way that God made me. And I remember praying and saying, God, you either need to open up my heart to a man or give me the courage to be the person that you made me out to be. It had been such a struggle for so long that I felt that he was giving me the way to just say, be at peace, live that life. And I did. And from that point forward, I didn't look back. I just kept on praying for God to just bring me a, a good woman, a good woman so I could share the rest of my life with. Lord, bring me this good woman. And God did bring me a good woman, but he brought me a straight, godly woman via my soccer team. She was asking, inquiring about my old church, and she was telling me about her church, and she invited me to go. And one time I just took her up on her offer, and I came to church, and I remember just being captivated by the message. And I remember just wondering, what makes it so different from what your pastor is saying than what the pastor of what this other church that I've gone to? What's, what's so different? Why is it that he's saying that homosexuality is not good and this other pastor at this church is saying homosexuality is okay and, and that, it, that Jesus is okay with it? Who's to say that you're right and they're wrong? And so what she encouraged me to do is just to keep reading. She gave me a book to read. 
And I remember just really kind of just diving and just absorbing and, and really doing my own research. I wanted to I wanted to prove the Bible wrong because I had been so long that I had been trying and going to God and saying, change me. And all of a sudden I was at peace with who I was. And then this, I read this book. God just really opened the eyes of my heart and he showed me and it wasn't just, it said it's not just believing about God, it's believing in God. And I was thinking, wow, I don't think I've ever done that. And then I remember that the next time I saw him on the cross, I understood what he had done for me. I understood that he had died for my sins. And I remember just, just crying and being so thankful for what he had done for me. And he was changing my heart. And I remember driving one day and just being so mad because I felt that I had come out to him. I had felt that I had gone to him early on in my life. And now 20 years later, he started to do something and starting to change my heart and mind. It was so hard because I didn't want to. I didn't know what I was getting myself into by living in this life with Christ. He continued to just pursue my heart. And I remember just yelling and just being so angry with him and just being so exhausted driving and just talking to him. and. It's not necessarily talking, but maybe yelling and, and then just feeling so deflated, just dejected. And again, just turning on the radio and he just spoke into my heart and he just told me, I want you to see me. I mean, I, I just felt that I heard that in my heart so clearly. And then I just started crying again, just being thankful because every time he's taken me or I have gone to the point where I think I can't do this, he just overwhelms me with his peace. So the first time I came to Region, I came again with my friend Cynthia and she invited me to come. It was so real and I remember thinking, wow, did they just share that? Interesting. And it kept on bringing me back. Every time that I would go, God just really started softening my heart because every story that someone would, would tell about their testimony, I would be able to capture a little bit to God was just tugging at my heart. And so one time I just went in there, I sat and I went into the small group. I would remember, I would just say alternative lifestyle and then just leave it at that. It wasn't until midway through it where I started getting to know the ladies that I started sharing a little bit more. Then we became fast friends. It was so beautiful that at the end of that, I didn't say alternative lifestyle anymore. I said homosexuality because he had just really kind of wiped it clean at that time. And that's the beautiful part about regeneration, that people are able to relate to you. They're able to relate to whatever you may have or are going through. And they might be going through the same thing. I was met with nothing but compassion and love. I look back and I go, Lord, wow, five years ago, five years ago, I was doubting your Bible. <laughs> five years ago, I was trying to prove your Bible wrong. But now I know that there is power of transformation in the Bible. And I know it to be true because he did it for me. I didn't think it was possible to change, especially since I didn't want to change and I wasn't looking to change. So that's how amazing he is. It is amazing. It's amazing the journey that he's gotten me on. And it is so fun. And it is so filled with peace.